from beautiful downtown Sacramento, it's time for Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket Fort Bingo! Beach Blanket everybody, this is Spaz, and thanks for stopping by the Blanket Fort and hanging out with me for a little while. But I am not alone. That is right, here in the Blanket Fort, live in the compound, in the studio, we have a very special guest, a gentleman by the name of Ronnie Barnett. Many of you know him as the bassist for the Muffs, and uh, but to be honest, I know him as the basis for the muffs. But anyway, instead of going through and talking about his entire career and, uh, you know, the ups and downs of being in a band and playing songs from each of the albums, I mean, that was my original plan, but things changed once Ronnie showed up. And, uh, you know, sit back and relax and enjoy this episode because you are going to hear a lot of nonstop chatter and, uh, and it was a delight to have him. So uh, without any further ado, I'd like you all to... Welcome, Ronnie Barnett, to the Blanket Fort. Many of you will know Ronnie Barnett as being the bass player for iconic alt-rock trio The Muffs. Ronnie has played with the band since their inception and has toured the world, However, those people lucky enough to know him personally realize that he's just like most of us, a music lover, an avid collector of industry marketing and promotional items, and a man with many great stories to tell. Knowing Ronnie only a few short years, I decided that the next time he was in town, I'd get him on Beach Blanket Fort Bingo, and we'd talk about his musical career and his life in the Muffs. However, three minutes after he showed up to do the following interview, I decided that I was going to throw caution to the wind and that I wanted to record one of our normal music conversations. See, Ronnie and I share a passion for a lot of the same musical genres, including power pop, AOR, new wave, Christian rock, and many other styles that might surprise the hordes of Ronnie Barnett fans. And yes, there are many Ronnie Barnett fans. So this is a very different episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. No script, no agenda, and no rules. And to be honest, I think that we go off onto so many tangents that we never really tell a complete story. But I hope you find it as enjoyable and as fun as I did recording it. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome Ronnie Barnett to the Blanket Fort. Ronnie Barnett from The Muffs. Uh, greetings and welcome to the Blanket Fort, Ronnie. I know. Thanks for having me here in the compound. Yes, this is actually, uh, this is the first interview that, uh, well, actually, this is the, the second time we're attempting this interview. The first time was probably about six months ago, and uh, it, it just didn't sound that well. Ronnie sounded great. I sounded horrible. But um, we are actually, it, this is part of a series that I am now going to be calling just Two Guys Talking About Music. Awesome. Because the other one, our focus, we, we were we were mainly focusing on A and R, A A O R. Yeah, I mean the 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 thing about the last time is you know we were we were talking about Aviary and and we were talking about all these great bands that 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 um, so, sort of get overlooked and um bec- you know especially by the crowd of people that we hang out with because the people we hang out with are are 
intellectual and and, <laughs> and 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 they love good music and 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 AOR is not really fully embraced by by the smart people. Um, I mean, I mean, you're you're, I mean, you're half smart. So. That was that was a very polite way of saying they have very narrow taste. <laughs> they would never listen to like something that looks like Aviary, even though they would probably love it if they heard it. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, just just let everybody know, uh, Aviary is a fantastic band. They sound a lot uh, to me. It's a little bit of Super Tramp, Cheap Trick, Queen, and Sparks. Yeah. And the from the muffs and the muffs have been around since uh when did the muffs form not that many people are going to know me from the muffs but um uh <laughs> we we formed in um fall of 1990 uh-huh. and then we played our first show on january 25th 1991 so it's been 28 years uh actually i guess it's coming on 29 years since we formed wow so now, but let's go back to the beginning do you remember the exact moment when music became an obsession for you when it when it just became your focus um you know i my i think it was because i had a couple older brothers in the house and they were very into music and i saw these album covers that frankly were scary to me things like paranoid the <laughs> album cover i realize now the first black sabbath album is actually scarier but i don't think my brother had that one but the paranoid album is pretty spooky to a little kid uh, and he had things, he went, I remember he went and saw Alice Cooper mm-hmm. and uh, came back and told me how he was stabbing babies and, you know, probably laying it on thick, you know, all those tall tales about the, you know, him passing around the spit and stuff, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is clearly not true when you think about it. But yeah, I, I, he was very into music and I, I, I actually was, uh, you know, listening to Partridge Family and, and stuff and uh, my earliest uh, memory of going, of actually, you know, record shopping, my parents gave me some money, told my brother to take me to the record store. I wanted to get more Partridge Family records, but I walked out with two things that he picked out. Frank Zappa's apostrophe and Cheech and Chong, Big Mambo. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, between those records, it kind of formed my whole taste. Well, um, one thing that, that, that I do know uh, you know, a lot of people, they tend to grow out of music. So you mentioned like Partridge Family and, and whoever else. Well, I think that a lot of people need to realize, like, you know, it's okay to still like that stuff. And, and I know that you do. I mean, you're, you know, you're Partridge Family Osmonds and stuff, you know, just like a lot of us. But a lot of people, you know, they just, you know, if you talk about the Osmonds of the Partridge Family, people go, oh, I used to like them. And it's like, how can you stop liking, you know, you stop liking girlfriends or, or, <laughs> or, or boyfriends or wives or family members or something, or, or, or you stop liking in particular food because you had it too much. But how, how do you stop liking music? I mean, I mean, if you were totally into it, do you just go, okay, well, I'm done with the Plimsolls. Now I'm going to move on to the Thompson Twins, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, music, I mean, used to move so quickly that, um, well, you know, and, and, when you like Partridge Family and Osmonds as a little kid, peas. Uh, the P, don't know. Uh, the peas. Oh, the peas. Yeah. Okay. But go ahead. Watch my peas. Yeah. You, you can keep this in. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, you know, back then, I mean, those, those bands got really kind of uncool. Yeah. I mean, uh, even like Kiss got uncool. Yeah. You know, by the time I was 14 and 79, I was not listening to Kiss anymore. Just a few more hours. But, you know, when you as you're an adult and you stay into music, as you're saying, 
you go back and you're like, wow, the Osmonds, there's some great songwriting there. I mean, these are great songs. Yeah, I think because it's so ingrained uh, into who you are and to who you have become, it's... It, music tends to be sort of building blocks and and you know you're starting with you know let's say you start with with sesame street and then you move on to the osmonds or the or jackson five or the parch family and you start building this stuff but you never forget abke jackie jackowanock were stewart's by big bird <laughs> on on um uh, you know, the first Sesame Street album. That was actually the first album that I remember that I owned and it was all my own. You know, the Beatles albums that my brother Mike and I grew up with, they were always passed down from my parents and they were our albums. Yes. You know, they were they belonged to Mike and, and, and me, you know, the Beatles and the Monkees and stuff. Um, but then uh, then comes something like, um, you know, the, the Sesame Street album. That's really the first album. And, you know, I Love Trash by Oscar, you know, Rubber Ducky. I No, I don't play that stuff. You know, I mean, when friends come over, I just go, hey, let, let's throw in some Bert and Ernie, you know. <laughs> uh, but but it's it it's really fun to, uh, uh, to, to always remember, you know. I mean, because first time I remember hearing Octopus's Garden mm-hmm. was on Sesame Street. Oh, first yeah. time I remember that song. Now it's not the first time I, I, uh, you know, maybe it was the first time I connected it, you know, connected with it. But they had it on Sesame Street, and it was the Muppets singing "Octopus's Garden." And to me, when I found out it was a Beatles song, it was like, "Holy shit! I love the Beatles, and I love Sesame Street. This is freaking amazing!" <laughs> you know. <laughs> but <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry. But anyway, um, no, at age twelve or whatever, when Sgt. Pepper movie came out. That's the first time I heard a lot of those songs. Oh wow, which uh, is pretty amazing, yeah. Because I, you know, I don't think my I don't think my brothers had a lot of Beatles music laying around the house. They were into heavier stuff. Well, probably by that time, by the time Sabbath came along, you would assume that maybe some of the people, you know, since the Beatles had broken up, let's move on to the harder stuff. Let's move on to the to the you know, the, the Black Sabbaths or, or the Zeppelins or, or even Cream or, um, you know, the real hard stuff like, um, you know, Precious and Few by Climax. <laughs> <laughs> what a great song. One of my favorite songs. Yeah. Um, what was the name of the singer again? Sonny. Uh... He, he went off and recorded a couple, you know, under like a couple different names or whatever. One of his albums was actually produced by Mark Avzak from Donnie Iris and the Cruisers. Whoa. And I think that basically it's him and the Cruisers. It's basically uh, a Donnie Iris album without Donnie Iris. That's the man behind Donnie Iris, really. Well, Mark Avzak? Yes. Oh, yeah. He also put out um, two albums under the name uh, Cellar Full of Noise. Wow. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and he co-wrote all that material. Yeah. And he's the one who really... Did all the vocal arrangements. So if you go back and if you go back and listen to a Donny Iris album, um, it's fascinating because you know Donny's okay. The thing that got me about Donny, I think first, is the fact that you know he'd go into this falsetto and it was it, 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 it was passionate. You know it it wasn't it wasn't uh, Frankie Valley. It was it was it seemed to have much more depth and power and passion. But then when you buy Donnie Iris record, you start listening and you realize that the production, the, the way that Mark Avzak layers those vocals is just amazing. He's an incredible vocal arranger because there's so much stuff going on. isn't thought of as a god outside of where's he from somewhere uh like, like pennsylvania yeah or, yeah, yeah pittsburgh or still works like he's yeah. still yeah he's like he's like 102 or something just like just, just in that area though he didn't get out of the area yeah yeah exactly yeah. and and still um uh marty lee still plays guitar for him he's been with uh, the cruisers mark Avzik still plays with him uh i believe kellen kevin valentine is with him which links wow. going to the kiss he played on Kiss record on, um, or Kevin Valentine played on on 
I think Psycho Circus or something like that. Um, although he's uncredited, right. and then um, uh, he's got a different bass player. I don't think Al Britton plays with him anymore. But still, are you the- kidding me? It's not all the original guys <laughs> at this point. That's that's <laughs> yeah, but uh, unacceptable. Yeah, well, at least it's better than you know the Flock of Seagulls lineup where it's Mike Score and three other guys. Yeah, three other guys who do who look completely different. Yeah, <laughs> you got a guy in a hoodie playing guitar, and you got the heavy metal bass player. Yeah, exactly. I remember when I saw Flock of Seagulls about twenty years ago. The bass player looked like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah, he, he even had the round, sort of rose tinted glasses. It that it, I'm glad you brought this got brought up because this drives me crazy. Like you're hiring guns to be in Flock of Seagulls. Like you can you can get an image, you can keep the image, even though Mike Score, you know. Wears a baseball hat or whatever. He probably wears a hoodie too. But <laughs> no, actually, I think he's proud to be bald now. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, finally. <laughs> yeah, yeah he I had know. the long hair spilling out of the. We're just waiting for Gary Newman to come to that realization. I was looking at a picture of Men Without Hats performing last night, uh-huh. and uh, the singer you're going to know his name, Ivan. Ivan, yeah, yeah. He's got he's got the long ponytail, and he's totally like bald up. He's like Benjamin Franklin, bald on top. Oh, and I'm thinking he probably regrets naming the band what he named it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> now it's Men Without Hair. Uh, um, but uh, um, but okay, you were you were talking about um, uh, what about John Cafferty? He still plays. John Cafferty. He the still plays, now who's in that band? I don't know. Um, very little online presence. Yeah, it's probably no no original guys. Yeah, well, that's amazing I, about Donny Iris to have that many original guys. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at nine nine nine. They've got three of the four original guys, and they still play. A um, lot of bands. Um, the Fix. Right. The Fix. Oh, that's right. Yeah. The four guys, the four of the um, uh, uh, and Jamie Westorum, um, uh, Rupert, and um, uh, Adam. They st- they've been in the fix since the very beginning. Um, Dan K. Brown, the bass player, was with them starting basically at Reach the Beach, and hmm. then he left. I think somewhere in the '90s, and then came back like five years later, uh, and he's been with them. So basically, the fix that you the fix are on tour right now. This is summer 2019. The fix are on tour. The band that you go see today is the same band that you saw uh, basically during all the hit years. That's incredible. It's amazing, and they still sound incredible. And great, and I don't know if anyone out there is a Fix fan. Are you a Fix fan? Or not? I am a Fix fan, but not 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 as not, not you know I not Schnee Fix fan. Not Schnee level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do like the Fix. Yeah. yeah okay. I have a Reach the Beach promo beach ball. Oh, maybe I should give that to you. collector of uh marketing promotional items uh uh for for or, uh, music stuff um how much i mean have you ever thought like how much just your collection of promotional material would be worth i mean i haven't really people walk in my room and they're like they look around and they're like oh my god you're never gonna have to work again and i don't think the stuff is necessarily worth you know yeah, a yeah. Ton, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, obviously, there's going to be things that are worth a couple of pieces that are worth, you know, in the hundreds of dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, um, but you know, I don't know what is a dreamboat any paperweight. What would some would that be worth now? I really don't know. You know. Yeah, you know, and and at the same time, it's kind of like uh, when you really think about any type of music, like or any type of item that you own, you could be holding on to something that you picked up at a garage sale, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. And it means nothing to you. And it could be worth 50 bucks, hundred bucks, but there's somebody in Minnesota right now that has been looking for that thing for like 40 years. Right. And it depends on the week you put it on eBay, right? Yeah, you, yeah. you need two guys yeah, or girls to, uh, <laughs> yeah, you need two people to battle it out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are, we are, um, social justice warriors here so we will include both men and women in our conversation uh so i caught myself yeah <laughs> um but i know you know the thing i do love promo items i love i have i have two rooms and uh 
I tried to keep the stuff out of the bedroom for a long time, but it spilled over a little bit. But yeah, I, I basically going back to being a kid, you know, when I walked in, uh, there was a chain called Evolution Records mm-hmm. in Houston. Mm-hmm. And every town had a similar store. You walked in, and it was like half, or not half, but, you know, a, a bit of a head shop as well. Mm-hmm. Smelled like incense, but there were, that was the golden era for like promo uh, display stuff. P.O.P. as they call it in the business. Yeah. It probably came after that, that term. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so I'm guessing P.O.P. I'm guessing P.O.P. came a little later. Um, <laughs> or or you do this, P.O.P. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> See, thanks. I don't know the mic technique. So, yeah, I walked in and there's, you know, and, you know, back then stores would like have these, like a corner and there'd be like, say, police outlandos de amor and there'd be a siren spinning around, yes, yes. you know, uh-huh. and like just stacks of the record, yep. you know, you mm-hmm. pick up and um. Mm-hmm. Basically, I just wanted to live in that environment, and I kind of do. Like, my room is full of uh, stand-ups and, you know, Joe Jackson, I'm the man stand-up next to the Pat Benatar, Crimes of Passion stand-up, you know, and mobiles and uh, posters and and little things. Yeah, I mean, I love... Well, what, if you... I know it, it's difficult. It's 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 kind of like asking one of those, who's your favorite child or who's your favorite member of KISS? But <laughs> is there a particular item that means more to you than anything else? Out of these promotional, it doesn't have to be your favorite band. It could be something that maybe was, you know, I mean, is there just something that really stands out? It probably changes, but uh, I'll, I'll mention two things that just come to mind, and that's the... Uh... The Ramones leave home uh, switchblade looking letter opener. Wow. It kind of looks like a switchblade. Uh-huh. By the way, I do have a Robert Gordon switchblade comb. Wow. My gal is red hot. Your gal ain't doodly squat. Actually, I have a, I have a collection of combs, I realize, because I, I have a Haircut 100 comb, an Elvis Brothers comb, a Robert a, a different Robert Gordon comb. Uh, anyway, uh, there's the, the Ramones item. And then, you know, I'm really attached to my sticks crystal ball crystal ball oh that's amazing yeah it's really a, a nice nice piece you know i have somewhere in this room or in a box because uh i don't know where it went after i moved um dog trumpet is a band featuring reg and peter from mentals anything and mm-hmm. they put out a cassette single called i'm so handsome mm-hmm. and packaged with that cassette single or shrink wrapped in it is a dog trumpet comb ah so nice. so i have to find that and uh uh, maybe pass it off to a a um, marketing or promotional item comb collector. Nice. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You're mine. I need a lucky to have me. I'm so handsome. The night is young. You look good. I feel fine. Oh, my. I'm going to press my flesh against your dress tonight. All right. I have a luggage tag collection, too. I have an Andrew Gold luggage tag. Wow. Maria Moldauer and Seals and Crofts. And I, and I'm like, I'm looking at these. I'm like, I have three. That's a collection. Yeah, yeah. I might be leaving one out too, but you know, two is a collection <laughs> or more than one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, what other, you know, cool items? Cause I mean, I love to hear about this stuff, even though, you know, I mean, you live um, down in LA, of course. And, and even when I was in Orange County, I, um, I wasn't, allowed um to go to your place to look at your promotional nope. items uh <laughs> <laughs> um but what other kinds of stuff um what's maybe like the most unique thing? um let's see i mean i i love those uh kind of i don't know if foam core is the word but those kind of like thick uh they made them in the late 70s there's they're those big square album ones yes what yes. you see like you know i've got a couple of patty smith ones uh-huh and, there's a Cars Candio, which I've always coveted. Wow. Um, but I have one that's like kind of half that size for Van Halen too, and it's it's a picture from the back of of David Lee Roth jumping up. Yeah. And they've it's early Photoshop, uh-huh. but as you know, his hands kind of down, like kind of hitting his his uh-huh. top of his leg, and they put in the Van Halen two album cover there. It's very primitive <laughs> looking, <laughs> but I just love that. I love that item. Um. You know, speaking of um, Kiss, which we weren't, um, I wanted to answer this question. You know, you said by the age of 14 you were getting out of Kiss. 
what what are your limitations with KISS? I've always wondered about that. KISS, oh, oh, by the way, people, if anybody out there is transcribing this interview, it's capital K, capital I, <laughs> capital S, capital S. And Ronnie reminds me that every time I post anything about KISS. But what would be uh, like like your limitation? What is the cutoff album? What is the the time period that you say, I'm not listening to anything after that? I mean... It's it's not that I won't listen it, the 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 skin years records, as I refer to them the skin years, uh, like lick it up like lick it up is really a solid record but after that and and this is more of a, a thing of like it, it turned into the mid eighties yeah right and, and and production just got production yeah. from and you know basically any record well I know you're gonna like a lot of work from from eighty five to. Uh, no, 89 but, but I, you know what i'm talking about yeah i definitely know what you're talking like about. like people started using drum triggers and and just the production got really bad and and just you know they they went for that commercial pop metal thing and you know it did well with it but yeah um you know i don't go and listen to animal eyes or asylum <laughs> You know, those records are actually great compared to the next two. Like Crazy Nights uh-huh. is kind of unlistenable, but it, it's really a lot to do with the production. Yeah, Crazy Nights, I th- like, uh, th- there was a certain point, and, and everybody has this in their career, or, I mean, most most bands who have had a long career, is you know that every time you walked into a used uh, CD store, you would find a certain album or a certain cd or whatever that was going to be in everybody's used bin yeah and crazy nights was usually one of them and hot in the shade the next one yeah those are the albums that basically you don't want to start your kiss collection off with those but those are the ones that are usually a dollar 99 it's true it's true and then even after that you hear you would always hear revenge was a big return to form i mean i you know it's okay but yeah what did you think of the period when when Ace and Peter came back and they were and and what Psycho Circus and then, Psycho Circus and then there was something else right was there um I believe see I, even I get fuzzy on this uh-huh. um, I believe I believe they were gone by the time they made another record um, I get them kind of mixed up there's one called Monster um and, and when I say Ace and Peter are on they're barely on Psycho Circus yeah exactly I mean Psycho Circus was a disappointment to, to everybody when it came out because the tour was great the uh-huh. reunion tour was was fantastic saw it a couple times and then like okay they're making a new record and you know and basically uh, was it just another kiss album it was basically just another basically they they tried this is the this is the problem when, when bands try to have hit like you know Madonna does this now like you you try to be current and relevant and, yeah, yeah and have hits and it's just like you're not pleasing anybody you're not pleasing the old fans and you're not gaining the new ones like so they were still able to tour yeah. you know arenas but um yeah the record is not and it's not regarded as a good record either you know it's not just me saying that yeah I just remember it you know being a big deal I think it was like a target only or there's a target exclusive or something and it was such a big deal and had but, the lenticular 3d cover yeah, yeah yeah and but then you can go into target six months later and it'd be in like uh severely marked down yeah you yeah. know it it suffered the Chinese democracy uh you know uh guns and roses like first album in what 20 years and and I I don't know anybody who any Guns N' Roses fan who can name a song off that album. Yeah, I think you know I always keep that in a stack to revisit because I I think at this point it might be good, maybe. Yeah, but uh, I I never think I never get around to listening to it. Yeah, there isn't. You know, I've never heard more than two or three songs. I was never a fan to begin with. So what was the point of me going to? You know, I mean, like <laughs> that wasn't going to win you over. Yeah, the the great thing about Guns N' Roses to me. Uh, was the fact that when the Use Your Illusion came out and, uh, you know, parts one and two, mm-hmm. um, Tower Records was open past midnight that day. 
So I was yes. able to go to Dark Records after midnight and do a little shopping. I could care less about uh, the albums. I just remember <laughs> people standing in line and me being able to go, oh, I'll be able to, you know, go and buy my Dylan Fence CD or whatever. I was That's great. They let you, because often when they, you know, they would do those midnight sales. Yeah. Often back then with big releases. And uh -huh. I, yeah, I, I, I thought generally they, you just, they would just, people would line up and then they'd let them in at midnight and just kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I think it was, I mean, well, at least back then it was more like the Record Store Day thing um, where, uh, you know, you can go in and, and you can decide to, you know, flip through, you know, the, the Record Store Day things or you can go shopping. But the problem is I went to one Record Store Day. I'll never go to Record Store Day again. I mean, I love it. I support it. I support record stores. I support sales of physical vinyl. Uh, physical CDs, anything, or, you know, any type of physical media. I support it. I support the industry. But, uh, you know, when I go to a record store, I don't want to stand... It, it took me, you know, an hour to get into the store. It took me 45 minutes to get past the record store people so I could just go through the regular used bin. And then it took another hour, hour and 20 minutes to go through line to pay for what I bought. Um I mean, I liked experiencing it, but I, you know, I'm the kind of guy I'll just go shopping every day before Record Store Day and every day after. Well, here's the thing: go go a little later in the day. Yeah, yeah that's that's, true. that's that's the hint for you because if you're not after the uh, exclusive items, yeah, I wanted to experience that excitement. Yeah, well, I get that. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, um, but I don't want to do it again. No, I. I work in a record store, so I basically have been, <laughs> I basically worked every record store day, even the, even the early, I remember the early ones I was still at Amoeba uh -huh. and it was like the wild, wild West. They would just, they, they would put all the stuff in a, a bin that was two levels. Uh -huh. Everybody would run to that bin and it was like, there were like fights and chaos and people yelling flaming lips from 30 people away and uh, it was finally they learned like okay people are going to line up we got to do this handle this a different way so now they have like a checklist system or whatever um the store i work at we kind of just put everything in the bins uh, uh -huh. where they should be so there's not like just one bin of all that stuff and yeah. so people kind of they kind of kind of work for it a little bit well, would you like to um, let people know where you work so you can a uh, uh, little free advertising so people can stop by and ask for autograph or <laughs> sure I I because uh... I love the store I love the store no 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 I work in a store called Record Surplus which has uh, been open since since 1985. Mm -hmm. um, it used to be uh, we moved eight years ago when the building sold but we used to be on Pico near Barrington and um. The location is kind of legendary because it was the original Rhino Records label warehouse. So if you get the really? early Rhino uh, releases, like you know the the Yiddish, whatever, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or the Kazoo Orchestra, yeah, or yeah. The, uh -huh. actually actually going into the first few years, you'll you'll there'll be a Pico address, and that was the same wow. address. And, and and that's the place that you guys were at or are at now. That's the place we were at until eight years ago. Okay. It, was the place where you at, was, did it used to be like two levels where you can go upstairs? And sort like of. Yeah. The upstairs people, people always mention the upstairs. It was called the attic. Um, it, it wasn't an entire upstairs level. It was basically a very thin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then I went to that like one. platform and that's what, that was the, the discount stuff. That was the yes. cheap stuff. Yeah. Which used to be a, a gold mine back yep. in the day. Gold! We could, record stores have changed. Um, yeah, well, that's another. We can story. get into that later, but or now or whatever. But um, I'd love to get into that. Uh, but but finish your thoughts. Um, um, uh, record surplus. Yeah, and there was a Rhino. There was so there was a Rhino connection, and um, the owner of the original owner of Record Surplus also owned a store called Rhino Claremont, which still keeps the yeah. Rhino name. Yeah, Rhino to this day, there many still times. open. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there is this kind of Rhino. Uh, yeah, connection, wow, which is interesting. interesting. Yeah. But oh uh, yeah, what happened was the uh the building the owner of the building passed away and the kids took over and sold the building. So that's why we moved. Oh, okay. We're okay. now at uh Santa Monica Boulevard at Centinella and it's it's actually a better location. Yeah, it's many. actually a really fun place to um to go and uh wait and hope that Frank Stallone shows up. Frank's you know, I didn't see I was talking about this recently. Yeah, Frank has not shown up in a while, but uh I do my coworkers aren't the biggest fan of his. Uh, because you know, with Frank, I don't know if I should be saying this, but you know, Frank's very un PC, let's say. So anytime Frank's in, you're going to hear, he's going to be talking about, first off, he's going to talk about his brother and then he's going to mention 
doing cocaine back in the days. Uh, he's that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, kind of old school. He's actually been working a little bit. He does kind of a, uh, you know, croony type of act now. Yeah. Yeah. So does like Don, Don Most. Yeah. <laughs> Donald Most. Or, <laughs> I think I think Don Most has had to, um, I think he probably wanted to go out as Donald Most. So, so people wouldn't confuse him with Ralph Mouth, you know, that, <laughs> that Donnie Most. But I think he realized that the seven people in the audience see Donald Most uh, wasn't quite as uh, exciting as the 150 that would show up to see Donnie Most. Uh, I'd be very disappointed if I went and saw Don Most and he, and he was doing witchcraft instead of Letter In. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great song. No, no Letter in is Travolta. Oh, that's Travolta. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, there, there's a pop. There's a great pop song on the Donnie Most album. Yeah, too, no, no, which that, I can't. Which I obviously just got mixed up with Travolta. Yeah, well, I mean, Letter in's a great song though. Actually, Donnie Most would probably do a great version of Letter in. I'm gonna be his musical director. Now. Gonna let her in. Gonna let her in. Mm-hmm. Gonna let her in my life. I was just going to say that was kind of the end of the, uh, you know, remember back in the 60s, basically every actor would get a record deal. Yeah. And, and whether they could sing or most of them could not sing. But, um, um, you know, Anson Williams, that's kind of, you know, I know Zmed made some singles. Oh, Adrian Zmed. And of course, Don Johnson had that big record oh, deal yeah. in, the, in the 80s. Or yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, that was kind of the end. You don't, you don't, that's a lost thing now. I would no, no, you see, it's not really a lost thing uh, when, when you're signed to Disney. Because the Disney actors and actresses, we're, we're being social justice warriors here. <laughs> um, the, the, it seems like everybody that is signed to Disney has both a uh, Disney Channel series um, contract and a singing contract. Because uh-huh. almost every one of them has some kind of recording out. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Um, because you know they're they're appealing to a certain audience, and that is one of my questions. Before we get back into record stores, uh, uh, does it bother you that, that that record labels today are marketing to an audience that does not buy music? Because you know they can say like, oh, the new Drake album got five million spins first week of release. Well, to me, that's five million people who didn't think it was worthy enough to buy. Um, it's it's like walking into, uh, or I mean, it's like like McDonald's giving away five million Big Macs yeah. and them saying it's the most popular hamburger in the world. You know, we uh, you know we sold five million Big Macs. No, you didn't. You gave away five million Big Macs to people that normally wouldn't have bought a Big Mac, and they're not going to come back and buy another Big Mac. It, I, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. I I agree with you. Um, but I mean, that's just the way it is now. That they're just people do not want to own mm-hmm. things people just do not buy music like that anymore mm-hmm. and um good examples that's a recent um i'm going to mispronounce his name but dj khalid or whatever yeah. who's mm-hmm. suing billboard mm-hmm. because his uh his first album sales were tied into some energy drink or something i mean this is how they sell music yeah. now mm-hmm. uh and they didn't count those as sales but they counted dre or whoever's um I mean, this is just the way people consume music now. and Yeah, now now people get a free album when they buy a concert ticket, and they count that as an album sale. Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but the people who get excited by physical product, like me or you, me, me or you are like, look at this triple residence box set mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. version, all the Mole trilogy all together at last. With bonus tracks. With bonus tracks. I've never heard. I mean, how many are they selling? heard 90 percent of what a new big release is going to sell sells the first week yeah like and that's why everybody wants it's all about the pre-orders and all that yep. and yep yeah i noticed recently because this, 
this is a good example. Like I always tell these people, cause people will put out their new records and th- these are people like that with music that appeals to, I don't want to say old people, people like me or you. Yeah. I'm talking about like classic power pop people or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And they get sucked into this, like putting it out on vinyl only. And I always say like, dude, don't freak, do a small run of CDs. Cause old people will buy CDs. Like at our store, Mm-hmm. We literally have sold like 10 to 1 CDs to vinyl on like the new, the last McCartney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like the Springsteen, mm-hmm. you know, like. Mm-hmm. I have relied on physical media for so long that if it's in front of me, I'm going to listen to it. And if it's something that I can grab and put in my CD player, um, even if it's stored on my phone, when I'm driving to work, I have a 30 mile commute each way. I can't sit there and start pushing buttons on my phone and, and, you know, pull up a certain album or whatever. But if I have a copy of that CD in my, um, in my bag of tricks that I bring with me every day, pull it out, pop it in the player and I'm listening to it. No, exactly. I don't scroll through my computer yeah. looking for, yeah. I, and, and, I've been saying this for almost 10 years that downloading's over, and now it kind of is, you know, yeah, with the iTunes yeah. thing, it kind of is. But, like, yeah, people, especially in the last five years, have not, people do not want to da- put take up space on their computer. Like, uh, I got a friend that works in the movie music business, and uh-huh. he's like, I can't send anybody a downloadable link. Like, they're not going to open it. Yeah. Like, they just want, yeah. they want to stream a file or whatever, and that's what it is now. Is that it after all? The vinyl thing is, is it is peaked, if you ask me at this point. Yeah. And, and when you hear, you know, everyone, people walk in, vinyl's back. Um, it's a niche thing. And and the, the kids that are into vinyl, they, for the most part, they don't come in and buy the War on Drugs or whatever new band yeah, it is. Yeah. They're buying Pink Floyd records and they're buying Beatles records and they're, you know, they're buying Fleetwood Mac rumors. God, we, we sell three of those a day. That's amazing. It's unbelievable. Um. You know, Beach Boys, Pet Sounds, uh, that, all the classic. That's what they want. Crosby, Stills, Nash. Yeah. Classic rock or yeah. like, you know, classic uh, funk. Do you see at any point CDs coming back? I mean, I, I don't think that they've really gone away. Yeah. But I think people are just, people just need to talk about something negative. So, yeah, yeah CDs suck. I'm never going to buy another CD. But... You know, I I think CDs will stay the same. I, mm-hmm. I can't say they'll come back, but I mean, I I always I cannot believe. Uh, say there's something like um, um, those recent Posies reissues mm-hmm. on Omnivore. Okay, mm-hmm. the CDs are like two discs. Mm-hmm. They have like almost fifty bonus tracks, literally mm-hmm. like forty. And then uh, on the other hand, you have the vinyl reissue, which is just the album. And the and that's going to be $30, whereas that CD with the two CDs and the bonus tracks is going to be more like 16 I, I just can't believe somebody would choose the vinyl in that case. I, I just, yeah. it freaks me out. And not all vinyl comes with digital downloads. And that's the thing. That's uh, Okay, I can see if somebody says, okay, I'm going to buy the album because I get the bonus tracks on digital download. And, and there's less of these download cards. And one thing that most people don't know, like the label... They'll be like, there's no download card. Well, you know, the label has to pay royalty for that download as well mm-hmm. as the physical yeah. record you're buying, too. A lot of people don't realize that. It's yeah. not just like some extra, you know, freebie. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. Yeah. probably talk for hours so what we're going to probably do right now is we're going to wind this down and and then um maybe look i got more to say (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean we see the thing is 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 i had uh, you know to the listeners again i had 25 questions that i had written out at least well 20 25 questions and i think i asked two of them (laughs) um and but you see that's the thing is it's you know once you get two guys talking about music it can go in any different direction. I mean, we've we've covered quite a bit, and, and uh, you know, I mean, I appreciate you even taking uh, taking the time out of here. And plus, you know, it is uh, uh, it is almost time for lunch. That's true. Yeah, that is uh, important. You, that's the thing too about podcast. Well, let's get on this subject for just one second. Okay. Okay. 
lot of them are too long. Like you, if when I click on a podcast and I see it's like almost two hours, I'm intimidated. I'm intimidated by the length. Well, okay, okay. Here's here's the thing about my podcast. I when I first put out my podcast, and this is an ego. This is basically telling why I know when to cut it off, when to cut it off. Um, my podcast, I wanted it to be a variety show. Mm-hmm. I wanted it to you go in and you hear somebody talk about comics, or you know, uh, comic books. Uh, then you know a little bit of music from another or, or, you know, from a few artists. And then I talked to a musician and basically I set it up to where, you know, if you go back and you listen to the first few episodes of beach blanket Fort bingo, you're going to see, um, a couple people, you know, you're a comic person and then a musical interlude and then an interview with the musician. And I think it worked out well, but then my brother said, you know what? And, and, and probably the wisest words he ever said to me was, a podcast should be about the length of an album. Because mm. that's, people are, are, are devoted to spending that much time with something. And once you go over that, they lose interest. That brother, he's smarter than he looks. <laughs> smarter than he smells. <laughs> but we will definitely do this again. I've got a lot of things planned. I've got, um, coming up, Ron Flint. And we will be discussing 2020 and his solo career. I'll leave you with this. Speaking of Ron Flint, you know, I'm a huge 2020 fan. Yes. That's actually how me and you met. Yeah. Uh, both kind of did some work on a reissue. Yes, exactly. I um, did liner notes and and uh, uh, Real Gone Music uh, reissued the first two 2020 albums on CD with a couple extra bonus tracks. Um, and I did the liner notes and I went to Robbie Wrist and said, Robbie, who do you know that collects... Um, 2020 stuff because they're looking for paraphernalia, um, you know, fan club stuff or flyers, whatever. And then uh, Robbie Wrist, um, star of the Brady Bunch, and uh, um, <laughs> I, I had to throw that and star and, of chips and things like yeah, Kojak and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, anyway, so he said Ronnie Barnett. And yeah, he, and you know what I said? Who exactly? <laughs> <laughs> but then I mean, uh, we we've been. Um, I mean, Facebook friends ever since. Yeah, yeah. I don't assume that I'm your friend in real life. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm only here to try and get a plug in. <laughs> um, more importantly than I did provide, you know, things, ephemera for that reissue. But even more importantly, they didn't have copies of the records, like clean copies of the covers. Really? Yes. So I provided, I let them open my sealed copies wow. of, yeah, of those records. Did uh, so that's uh, my contribution to, well, that's to history. Amazing. So, so, so we're 2020 buds. We're 2020 buds. And also I just want to say Ron Flint, I've never met him in real life. I love the man. He actually sent, he actually wrote a song that, uh, that he thought the muff should do. Really? And it's a great song. It's fantastic. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Ron, that we never got to do it. Um, I mean, just cause we don't really do outside yeah. material, but it's a fantastic song. You, you need to talk to Ron and then maybe get somebody else to do it. Yeah, Ron. And, and then, Ron, I hope to see you in Austin one of these days. I woke up from a 714. I shut my window on the S-O-Me. I've taken up pills. I was thought that's a world But it's an uphill life. I wouldn't think nothing about dying tonight. I'm a nuclear boy and I live My 2020 story. Yes. Now, first off, I saw 2020. At the Golden Bear, Huntington Beach, uh, touring between each album. They did uh, Life in the CIA, which became Life in the USA. And I remember them doing Life in the CIA, and they put on sunglasses. Oh, wow. So they were like spies. And then they did this amazing song called I Want to Hurt Her, which has never been Mm. released. Now, of course, I Want to Hurt Her, I don't believe that they mean physically. I think that they mean (laughs) emotionally. Okay, she broke my heart. I'm going to break her heart type thing. But second time I saw 2020, one of the greatest concert bills of my life. Mm-hmm. Opening band, Code Blue. Nice. Then comes 2020. Yep. Then comes the Vapors. Wow. Wow. Florentine Gardens in, in um, L.A. Florentine Gardens. It, it, it became a dance club. Yeah, yeah. No, I always, because it's been there forever, right? Yeah. The Black Dahlia used to go there. I mm-hmm. always wonder why they don't do it. So they did used to have legitimate concerts yeah, there. Yeah, I saw those. And then... Um, I brought album covers. I'm such a nerd. I brought album yeah. covers with me. So as 2020 is running off stage, 
Steve Allen sees that I've got the 2020 albums in front of me. So he grabs them. He goes, I'll get them back to you. And he runs off stage. And then we go back. Uh, after the Vapors play, we go back and we start asking one of the girls there, you know, is 2020 still here? And they're going, well, I, you know, I don't know. So she actually led us backstage. Mm -hmm. So we went up to the backstage area, got all the Vapors to sign our stuff. I never got my freaking 2020 albums back. <laughs> and I told Steve and Ron about that many years later. I think this is when they did their reunion tour uh, uh, when the two albums came out on Olio. Yes. And... Um, I told Steve that, and a week later comes a copy of each 2020 album signed by Steve Allen. Wow. That was amazing. Wow. I never got it signed by Ron, but I can tell you right now that Steve and Ron are two of the coolest, most talented guys that I've, I've ever had the pleasure to uh, work with on that level. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I'm their buddies and I hang out with them and stuff. I will. I'm going to pretend that. <laughs> but anyway, that is it for this episode of Two Guys Talking About Music. My special guest has been Mr. Ronnie Barnett. And would you like to say anything to the listeners, a parting shot before you go? I think I've spoken enough. Okay. <laughs> I think I've spoken enough, too. I think this is the most I've ever spoken on one of my own podcasts. It's good. I, I usually cut myself out. People should know you. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, smell you later. Go ahead, Ronnie. Smell you later. Well, that's it for this episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. I'd like to thank Ronnie Barnett for stopping by the Blanket Fort and chat about everything and anything. And I'd also like to thank Julie Lynn for allowing him to do so. Anyway, thank you everybody for tuning in to this episode of Beach Blanket Fort Bingo. Remember to like, share, comment, and do whatever you like to do. Anyway, until the next time, smell you later. Smell you later.